Hi, I'm Elka Dillon, author of The Ohm Factor and CEO of Technolink. The Ohm Factor is a woman's spiritual guide to leadership, providing you with seven essential tools and seven key traits to cultivate for your success and well-being. I am super excited to be here with Jeff Boss, who is a formal Navy SEAL, which to me was so cool when I heard that we were going to do this together. So I'm going to be asking you things about that for sure. And he's now a leadership and business performance coach. And he's the author of the book, Navigating Chaos, a very intriguing title, by the way, which shows readers how to successfully navigate the constant changing chaotic business world. Jeff, welcome. I'm so happy to talk with you and would love to hear. I have a personal question first. How did you come up with the title, Navigating Chaos, and for your book, and where did that come from and come about? Yeah, great question. Uh, first off, thank you so much for having me, and privilege is all mine. I'm, I'm looking forward to this, really. So thank you, Elka. Um, I think one day I was just writing, just as I do, and I tend to write just through a uh, stream of consciousness. It's almost like uh, just mental mental vomit that kind of comes onto the computer screen. And uh, mm-hmm. I, and uh, the, the title just came to me. I liked, I liked chaos um, because that's typically the environment that we worked in. And, um, you know, nobody can really control it. Um, you can, you can coordinate it, but you can't really, you can't really control it. You can leverage the sort of change that is going on in the environment towards, towards your position, but you can't really change, you know, uh, master it. So, um, I just came up with it with the, uh, with the term of navigating it because that's really what you do. You know, um, I, I wish I had a better better story <laughs> the uh it just it just kind of came to me in a uh, glimmer of insight one time that's so cool and i and i when i think about that when i thought of when i saw navigating chaos I loved the title. I think it's so catchy because you do kind of as you said you you can picture yourself on a ship, which brings me to when I say Navy seal i come from a naval family, so I love this. I love that, you know, you're, I picture you on a ship or something or something in the water and you're kind of navigating through the waters of chaos. And so it was so, um, it was just, it was so appropriate, the title. And then the fact that you're a former Navy SEAL, I mean, that has to come into play with this, right? I mean, you're, you're in situations that most of us, thank God, are not in, and you train for situations that, you know, hopefully that we never have to see. So how did, how did your training come into this, and how do you apply that in your work? You know, it's, I, I get this question a lot in that people, it's, it's, very, um, it's very appealing to distinguish the two, to distinguish the SEAL uh, sort of industry, you know, the SEAL, the SEAL role from that of business. And at the end of the day, the only difference is really just a matter of semantics because the way the way that you know top tier performers or or successful entrepreneurs or effective leaders the way anybody goes about anything in, in their lives to to be successful or, or effective or to reach their goal is the same no matter what industry you're in the end results are different you know my goals are different from your goals are different from from anybody's but the the <clears throat> Determination, the focus, the self-management, self-awareness, um, the, the the values, beliefs, purpose that we all, you know, internalize and and uh, that are that are um, shown in our behaviors to achieve those goals, they're all the same. 
you know, they're all the same and they all drive us. And so, and so to me, you know, the, the, the fuel moniker is, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. It's, it's big. And I know, I know that the people, you know, people really dig it, but uh, to me, it's just another, it's just another thing. You know, you do your job. I did mine. And it's uh, what was important for me as a SEAL is relative to what's important to you as a CEO and it's achieving those goals. And, and as I mentioned, the, the end state's different, but the, the value that we put on that end state, say, for example, life in, in, in the SEALs and, uh, say, profit or revenue or market share, whatever, whatever that value is as a CEO, that relevance is, is the same. So I'll offer an example. So in a meeting, um, I've seen I've seen CEOs or just higher level executives turn red in the face and want to you know throw their hands up in the air and, and just lose their minds in a meeting. Whereas in the seals, I've been in firefights telling jokes with guys in the middle of it. So it's 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 a matter of of the value that you place on that on that end state. Um, and it was kind of kind of a twisty, tur- curvy, and uh, long winded answer, but I, I hope that sort of uh, answers it for you. But uh, the bottom line is they're really just different. It's just a matter of semantics and translating it. Yeah, is, and not at all. And it was such a great, it's a great answer because I feel for me, you know, there is that cool factor. I mean, I even when I, when I knew that we were having this conversation, I just had a million questions because it's so interesting because it's a very elite group. But when you bring that into the corporate world, like you were saying, like you bring it into a meeting, you bring it into whatever interactions you have in your daily life, you are still, in your words, navigating through that that meeting or navigating uh, through that transaction or navigating through that interaction. So I think that um, that's really interesting that you look at them kind of just as some, it's just semantics. It's it's really not that different. So that's that's really an interesting way to look at it, and and I I appreciate that. Now, now, I mean, obviously, and, and I, I have to ask you this. Here you are, you are, you, you are a former SEAL. That's one thing, as you said, you were, you know, you did that in one part of your life, and you know, now here you are, as a, you know, performance coach and a leadership coach, and you've written this great book. What was there some pivotal moment that brought you to writing this book, or that brought you out of being a SEAL, or? something where you were just like, you know, something's got to be different or I need to approach this differently that brought you, you know, to your work that you're doing right now? Great question. I think there wasn't one single pivotal moment, but it was a compilation of many. So in the SEALs, I, I probably have, have the best and worst luck at the same time of any, of any team guy probably out there. Um, I, I've been shot on two out of eight deployments, uh, suffered uh or really survived uh four parachute malfunctions and um not to mention you know all the all the teammates that, that we've all lost but um that it wasn't so much one one of those events it was it was just the 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 iteration of all of them over the course of time and more than anything it wasn't um it wasn't anything um uh specific about those it was it was it was losing friends that was that really had a started to take a toll. So that coupled with um, doing the doing the same doing the same mission, the same type of mission over and over, um, just like anything, it, it just gets boring. So I wanted to uh, I wanted to leverage my my degree in uh, my master's in organizational leadership and apply it to uh, to the corporate sector. 
and more so I wanted to, to leverage what I've learned in this, what I, I had learned in the field because I knew that there was applicability elsewhere. And so, uh, so that's what I do. I help uh, that, with individuals and teams to uh, navigate their chaos. <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's so good because you do bring that other dimension. You may think you may you know you described it as being semantics and things, but I think that other dimension is really of interest because you know when we're sitting here in the corporate world, me being the CEO of an IT services firm. I'm dealing with, you know, I'm dealing with meetings that are, you know, and, you know, we deal with federal agencies and they are mission critical systems that we deal with and, and, you know, and those sorts of things. But they're really, I wouldn't constitute them as being a difference between life and death, right? Where I see the life mm-hmm. and death happen, and this is where I go into my work, is with the individual, right? The people that are sitting in those meetings, what is going on inside them that is causing them to react and not respond and, you know, fly off the handle or not be present or feel so badly about themselves that, you know, some of them commit suicide or or you have these, you know, so many things happen within individuals and so that's where kind of my work comes in is that yes you are part of a corporation but it starts and ends with you and you are the person that can make that and and you know make those changes within yourself and when i look at when i look at your work and the dimension that you bring in you you're already coming from a place where you've you know unfortunately and i'm so you know so sorry you've experienced that um and it seems on more than one occasion where you've lost people and lost they've lost their lives and you've seen that right happen in front of you and your own life has been on the line so you're going through that you know all the time so you're bringing that dimension in and that has to lend itself to you know what, guys, this isn't really that deep. You know, maybe you're making this out, uh, maybe you're looking at this and your perspective is is something that, you know, it doesn't really need to be. You know what I mean? It it must lend to that, doesn't it, for you? It it does. It does. Things can always be worse. I'm I'm not one to get ruffled. It takes a lot to to ruffle me or or to get me upset. And and yes, you're right. So there is a sort of uh, stress inoculation in some regards. For the other, for other instances, I would I would revert that I would I would revert back to the environment that the people in those meetings, for example, they speak up or don't speak up, um, not solely because of what's going on or not going on in their heads, but because of the environment the leader has set for them. So, for example, the difference between introverts and extroverts in, in their thinking processes, and I'm going to nerd out here for a second if you don't mind. <laughs> So the, the difference in their neurobiology for extroverts is they need to think, it's not that they need to, that their, their natural thinking process is allowed. Whereas introverts, they need some quiet time to, to think things through internally to themselves. And so placing introverts in meetings, in meetings like that, um, that's, it's, it goes against their very nature of how they think. And I used to think that for a long time that, you know, so many people who, who think their, their thoughts out loud are just sort of beating their chest and, and want others to, to hear them. Um, and, you know, there's probably some degree of truth to that for, for a lot, but for many, for, uh, for those who aren't, it's, it's just their natural thinking process. And the way the introverts can be, can be maximized in their input for those meetings is by the leader setting the environment for those, for those uh, interactions to occur. And the same thing, you know, the same thing applies for, uh, for, for anywhere else. It's, it's the environment. The, the environment is everything. 
I agree with you and how you process the environment. You know, for me, that's what I've noticed in in my career, my entire career, I've noticed that how we take in and digest the thoughts that we have that come to us in, in the belly of our consciousness, how we digest those thoughts, is it completely determines the outcome. What do you think about that? Mm-hmm. How we process them? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And we can, we can set ourselves up for success, um, but there's only so much that we can do by ourselves. And that's where, that's where the coaching aspect comes in, in that, you know, nobody is, is smarter than, than everybody, right? But, uh, you know, we can, we can set ourselves up for success, uh, only to the extent that, uh, that, that we understand the environment and that, and that, uh, um, we, we don't restrict, you know, information from, uh, from any other sources. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, it, you know, just going a little bit deeper into this, when you when you talk about when we talk about kind of what when you when we were talking about kind of how we process the information and how we process things, and it's it's bigger than just you, and it's not just one person. That brings the entire team aspect to it. Let me ask you from your experience. I can share with you mine, but from your experience. When you go into organizations, right, like an organization like myself or any organizations that you that you coach, quote unquote coach, and people that you coach, the team aspect of things, have you noticed that people are, um, they want to be recognized so badly that they lose sight of what the team is and they feel that, oh, if I don't use the terms beating my chest or if I don't show what I'm capable of doing, I'll be more expendable than somebody else. Whereas if I am part of a team, maybe they won't see me. Do you see any of that? Oh, yeah. It's it's everywhere. So and what are I your advice on that, around that? I attribute it to, to the... Uh, the leader again setting the environment and for in this case what i mean by that is the incentives you know, what's incentivizing those people to to behave like that um mm-hmm. so sales teams for example are, are notorious for for working working for themselves um in a uh to, to steal other people's territories their their sales calls blah 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 mm-hmm. um and not to harp on on sales folks but i've just i've spoken with a lot of them to, to know um, that, that this is this is just the, the nature of the game. Not not for all sales companies or, or teams, but but for many. And if you look at what's incentivizing them, it's it's money. It's a, it's a bit of a carrot and stick approach. But at the same, but similarly, they're incentivized individually rather than as a team, as as the the collective uh, outputs of the team. So. Um, when it comes down, when it comes down to motivating behavior, you, you know the the uh, the key to to motivate behavior at scale is to is to uh, identify the incentives and uh, and uh, incentivize the. What I'm trying to say is, is set the environment with the right incentives that motivate those behaviors at scale, rather than the individuals within that environment. Mm, I see what you mean. Uh, yes, no, no, that's interesting. That's interesting that you, so you, do you feel that it, you can motivate by scale? You, you, you think that it doesn't matter, um, you know, what, like each individual is different, right? So how do you come up with a cookie cutter 
That's interesting. Like, how do you come up with a cookie cutter motivational plan that would be yeah, available? So yeah, so so the flip side of that is if you're working with, you know, if you're working in a company with, you know, three to five or ten thousand employees, you can't really incentivize people individually. It's just it's just not going to happen. And so you incentivize them at scale by identifying what the requirements for success are. So, uh, so the requirements of the requirements for success for say a sales department are going to be, you be, I don't know. Uh, we'll just say X, you know, for the requirements for success for marketing are, are going to be Y for, uh, for HR are going to be, you know, Z, how they, how they achieve, how they achieve their elements of success is going to be native to them. But under the umbrella of the organization, the organization is going to have one, one defined metric of success that each of those lanes, sales, marketing, and HR all funnel up to. Mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. and so and so that that corporate wide definition of success is what's going to be the the ultimate driver, and how each one of those get there, each one of those departments gets there is going to be, you know, that's 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 on them. Mm-hmm. No, and that that's a, that's a, yes, it does, it does. From from when you're talking about larger organizations, absolutely, that makes complete sense. I, I've i seen in, you know, in my firm, so here at Technolink, we focus a lot on the individual. Um, it just, by the nature of my work, because the root of it is uh, meditation, and we'll go into that in a, in a minute, but um, because it, what I found is that when you do look at the individual, and even if it's within the department, if you have, there's going to be a department lead, let's say, or a manager of sorts. Someone always reports up to somebody, right? Whether that come all the way to me or that be, you know, someone else along in the chain. But um, I've noticed that when you look at the individual, and it doesn't take a lot of time to do that, but when you look at the individual and kind of find out what motivates them, it really taking the time to do that, even in very large organizations, it's worth its while because um, I've just noticed that people have such a very, there's a vast difference of um, of what motivates them and what they consider to be success, right? The, the work-life balance, everything is different for different people. Some people have kids, some people don't have kids, some people are in a relationship, some people are not. And believe it or not, these types of things really make a difference on what's important to them. And uh, and I think it's that manager's job in that particular use of you know term department in that department or in that in that in that area to be able to tap into that. And uh, and what I encourage people to do here, just when I go and um, give talks to corporations and kind of talk with them about the methodology of of the ohm factor and how to cultivate that within, it's it's going within yourself and spending those. Um, you know, two minutes, which is what I talk about, like literally two minutes in silence uh, of just observing your breath, uh, wherever you are, it will recalibrate you and you take that stillness with you in every interaction that you do have. So what does that do, right? You're setting off a chain effect with whomever it is that you're meeting and you come, you, you, you basically come at the, um, you come at the challenge with a solution. You come at the challenge with looking at it very differently, and you have many more um, things to bring to the table. So, uh, you know, here we 
we focus on we focus on that on that individual as well and then that then you have many individuals and that builds the corporation so it's it's really interesting um it's really interesting to hear from your vantage point of what's really worked you know from with scalability for me that's really that's very cool you're spot on Alka for for a certain size and then after a certain size then there's going to be you know there's just a different uh um, methodology to, to really motivate, um, that, at least that I've seen. Um, yes, I, I think I think definitely it's it's the onus upon the managers to motivate their individuals when it comes down to the more, more granular or, or team or even department level um, to to reshape or or to even you know quote unquote motivate an organization. Um, you know that's a, that's obviously a different uh, a different strategy to do so, but you're you're exactly right as far as as far as uh, tailoring what's important to uh, to the individual to uh, to get the best engagement out of them. Yeah, because then the individual makes up the team, the team makes up the corporation. So then therein lies your scalability. And and haven't you seen Jeff? I've seen this when you go into organizations that. Let's call. Let's use the, I, the, the the word successful to me is a very it's a it's an overused term and it's a term that just has so, so many meanings to so many different people. But let's say from a profit and loss perspective, let's not talk about happiness in the workplace. We can talk to Gallup about that. But when we're talking about mm-hmm. just P and L bottom line success, when you look at it from a financial perspective, you'll see with those successful organizations they'll tend to have groups of people that are motivated very similarly. And it's it's like they are attracting that type of talent. And through attrition or through whatever else, they come up with that culture. And so then then you'll have a company like Apple. This is not post-Steve Jobs. I'm talking during Steve Jobs' time. There was a definite culture uh, in that organization. Uh, Google, same thing. You know, you see cultures uh, develop. Have you? Do you agree with that? Do you see that happen? In your oh work? yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, yeah. Cultures, cultures definitely emerged as as the company grows or even shrinks. Um, and, and cultures, everything. Like you said, cultures what what either attracts or detracts uh, applicants or you know employees. So. It's the brand. It's it's the engagement. It's it's the lack of engagement. It's all it's all the above, and it's the. I agree. Success, success, and secret sauce are probably two of the most overused terms, but but uh. <laughs> right. <both. laughs> you know? right. I love that secret sauce. That's so. What is that anyway? What is that? Do you know what that is? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> you know, I, you know, it's just so funny. So. In one of my entrepreneur articles, I was going to use secret sauce, and the editor was like, "Oh my God, quit using this! What does this mean?" And so, and so it got me thinking that, um, you know, there, there's not there's not one secret sauce. It's whatever secret sauce works for works for the company. So, so in your case, uh, for for your company, um, motivating people, individuals is your secret sauce, right? For a larger company, it's it's going to be setting the environment, sort of the, the guardrails of motivation uh, to funnel to funnel behavior through. So that's that's you know that's another secret sauce. It's really native to the company, whatever makes them unique. And see, and that's and that's the thing that I've tried to um, that I that I try to communicate to other organizations when I when I go talk with them that it's just the same topic because just as there's no 
secret sauce, right? There's no secret sauce in you know, that you can use and be scalable because it won't, what works for Apple isn't going to work for Google, isn't going to work for Technolink, isn't going to work for whomever else. You cannot, that's, that's why I believe it needs to start at the individual level at the end of the day, you know, and you do have to take Mm -hmm. the responsibility to decide, am I going to, you know, am I going to um, do that personal work and, 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 and realize that it starts and ends with myself, you know? And so, and that's the, that's the interesting thing. And, and, and when we talk about success, that's another thing that I think is important to talk about that I think people, people really want to look at and they're starting to look at more. And I'm sure you're seeing this in your work. I certainly see it in mine when I speak to people. When you ask them, what is your definition for success? What do you think, what do you hear as, as your answer? I'll tell you what I hear. What do you hear? What is your definition of success? What do you hear? What I hear is, hmm, that's a good question. I haven't really thought about mm-hmm. that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I either hear that, I either hear that, or I hear happiness. Okay, great. And then I say, okay, happiness, what does that mean? What does that mean? And then you get the, hmm, I don't know, I never thought about that, right? If mm-hmm. we can't even think about what it is that, or know the answer to when someone says, what makes you happy, that's a scary thought to me. <laughs> yeah. What does yeah, that say? I, I couldn't agree with what you What does more. that say? <laughs> you know, it's, I to mean. To me, it says that there's no communication. <laughs> There's no communication and there's no communication with themselves, you know, like Mm -hmm. there's no internal dialogue of like, there's no, there's no, not even, and people think, you know, when they hear the term meditation, they think, oh, somebody's sitting on top of a mountain somewhere and, you know, in the Himalaya mountains or something. It's not about that. It's really, it's, you know, you need to demystify that and you just sit and, and, and people that are successful, meaning in their definition of success and well-being, they all have this practice. They really do. I've noticed that. And that's why I coined it the OM factor because they all go within. When you look at the Ariana Huffingtons, when you look at the Deepak Chopras, when you look at, you know, Steve Jobs, when you look at people like that, they all have that practice of sitting in silence for whatever period of time it is. Um, you know, to, to do that. And I, and I think it's really interesting. So when you ask them what makes you happy, they'll answer that question, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think everybody should take that it, yeah. time. And if, you, and if you're listening to this now, if people are listening to this now and they're probably asking themselves what makes me happy and 90% of people are probably like saying the hmm, you know, um, I would encourage every, I would really encourage everyone to, to think about that. And, and, you know, even if it is write it down, if you don't have the time to write it down, put it in your iPhone, you know, and just answer that question. Because I feel like once you do answer that question, you end up paving your way to that goal, you know? What do you think, Jeff, what do you think about when I say goal? I was just thinking about this now. What do you think about goals? Like, do you think that they're, do you think they're important to set? Do you think that in an organization you absolutely need those? You need met, you know, metrics. You need goals. You need the. How, how, how do you how do you recommend? What's your advice to organizations around goals? For an organization, yes. 
for for departments and for an organization yes because it sets a direction for people and and it enables a it enables the environment for people to make decisions so mm-hmm. without a goal then people are you know it's it's much easier to uh kind of just you know Run, run around in circles without knowing which direction you're going to go in. If, without you, you need a goal to make a decision to know whether or not you're moving forward, backward, laterally, or you know, just jumping up and down. So, uh, for for the company, for the organization, yes. For individuals, I'd say it's on them. Um, personally, I don't set goals. I um, I just do. If I have something that I want to do, I just do it. But um, I know goals. Goals are also very powerful for. Um, for a lot of people because they, they build self-confidence and, and knowing that you can, you can achieve something. Um, especially when you share your goals with other people, because now, now you're accountable for achieving that goal. So it's, there, there's certainly a powerful thing. Um, personally, I don't, um, I have set them a long time ago. Um, I, I don't do it anymore, but, uh, certainly nothing wrong with them. They're certainly, uh, motivating to say the least for, for many. Yeah, and I think you've probably evolved to that. Well, for me, I'm the same. I'm the same way. I live. I try my best. Is we're in human form right now. I mean, we're having this human experience. But I try my best to live in the present moment. And so, when you're living in that present moment, the the concept of a goal has a future component attached to it. So, if you're living in this present moment and you're going per you know, uh, you know what you what you know you need to do and what you want to do and what your desires are. They kind of align, um, but I feel like that is, and I and I think you'll agree because you said this before that you have set them in the past and you no longer do, as did I. I think until I learned how to kind of. Um, uh, march to the cadence of my own drum and find out what that cadence is until that was established. I needed to set those goals, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you find that cadence? So for me, it was, um, you know, when I asked you about, was there a, was there that event or something like that for me? Um, I even, uh, I was, I happened to be born a Hindu, okay, and so I was taught meditation at a very young age. I saw my father doing it, and I thought it was crazy, to be honest with you, and I just didn't have time for it, and um, then one day, you know, I was um, 23 years old, um, and I have two younger sisters, and one day, he just died, I mean, of a heart attack, like, completely healthy, just died, and in that moment, you know, I lost my best friend. I lost my father. It was very sudden. Person's not sick. And I'm really relatively young at that point. And I have two younger sisters, the youngest being 15, and my mom. And, you know, him being the breadwinner, I kind of had to take over at that point and, uh, and uh, navigate through that chaos, as you say. And so I went into a downward spiral, Jeff. I was, like, in and out of the emergency room for 30 days. It was horrific. I one day couldn't walk. One day they thought I was having a heart attack. One day my arm wouldn't move. You know, all these things. And they attributed it to the five-letter word stress, right? And so Mm -hmm. the six-letter word stress, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I I, I, I hate it so much I don't even, can't even count the letters. I don't use it anymore. But they attributed it to that. And, um... I just, 
realized that, you know, I need to walk down a different street, you know, and, and I just enrolled in a yoga class. And at the end of that yoga class was my familiar meditation. And I knew what that was. And it will be 20 years this in March. Next month, it'll be 20 years um, since he's passed. And I have meditated for 20 years. And it has completely changed my life. It has changed my um, my definition of success. It has changed my level of prosperity. It has changed my level of happiness, it has changed my interactions, it has changed everything. And so I feel that I feel very strongly about, you know, going within and I think that what we as people need and why I came up with the ohm factor, to be honest with you, is that um, we need a methodology, we need kind of a plug and play type of situation because we're in a world that is so fast paced, you know, everything's everything is needed yesterday or 10 minutes ago and we're in the world of email and text and, um, you know, Snapchat and all of this. Everything is instant gratification. Everything's immediate. And so I came up with this methodology because I was using all these things in the moment, all these tools, and they were working for me. And I realized, you know, I want to share these with people because they work. And so it, the book is kind of broken down and my methodology is broken down into seven key tools and seven key traits. And there's seven key tools that you can use in the moment when you're feeling certain emotions. And I found that there were seven key emotions that we would feel like overwhelm, anxiety, um, inadequacy, things like that. And what do you do when you're feeling those in the moment? And there were no books out there or no teachings out there to teach me how to do it in the moment, right? They taught me how to journal later or go meditate when you get home, all of that stuff. It didn't really help me. So I've shared those seven key tools. And then I shared seven key traits that I know that really help cultivate if you can help, if you can cultivate that, it will help cultivate to raise your own factor so that those situations of feeling overwhelmed and stressed and those things don't happen as often. And when you, when they do happen, you respond to them rather than react. So that's a very long answer to your very simple question. And I hope it answered it. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to hear more about it, actually. Um, how, if you don't, if you don't mind me asking asking a question about it, um, how absolutely have, not. Uh, how I has have... it? Okay, well, so, sorry, sorry for the. I mean, to speak over a bit of a delay with the cell phone, probably. But um, um, how has it uh, impacted your your uh, uh, work slash professional slash personal? Well, so for, for, for work, I mean, these all came out of, um, you know, in my career, Technolink is 16 years now in operations. And so I was realizing when I was in, let's say, a negotiation, I was using certain techniques that I had learned, you know, throughout my life. And, and, um, they are, there are certain affirmations that I have chosen that I, that I use and they're used in the moment because they have specific vibrational qualities that, immediately calm the nervous system down and stimulate areas that need to be stimulated depending on the affirmation or the mantra. And a mantra is simply a Sanskrit term for an affirmation. And you can use either of them and I've given them, you know, out there. And I noticed I was using them in the moment. And 
and they worked. And how I can tell you that they worked is that, for example, let's say it's a heated negotiation and it's just you feel like it's going nowhere and, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. If you if you utilize these things that, that I talk about here, you can change the entire tone and therefore the entire energy and therefore the entire outcome of that negotiation or that conversation. And it's interesting because it, it comes from a mindset. So when I talk about negotiation, I think about it, whether it's a financial negotiation that you're doing in a corporation or you're negotiating with your spouse or you're negotiating in whatever relationship you're in or whatever it is, life is a negotiation. Everything, if you want something, you are figuring out how am I going to how am, how am I going to get that, right? You think about then things get prioritized and you do that. It's all a negotiation. And that negotiation might end up being with yourself. So I noticed that when I started looking at negotiations, not as transactions, but rather looked at the bigger picture and not looked at just that one deal and looked at building that relationship, I noticed that that changed the entire thing. Because, you know, when you're sitting here and you're working for someone, let's say before I even started TechnoLink, um, you, have, you, have, you have the goals that they set for you and you have numbers that you need to meet and you have to do all these things. All you care about is the deal that's in front of you. You just care about closing that mm-hmm. deal. That's how it used to be for me. And then I realized, you know, that deal can, you know, it's the whole teach a man to teach a man to fish or catch him a fish, you know, kind of thing, you know, or a woman for that matter. And, and it's just, it's, it's, it's something that I realized that it just, it doesn't have sustainability when you look at it transactionally, it just becomes that one transaction. And so I apply, I apply all of these things in here at Technolink, everybody here does these things and, and uh, the, the tools that I've provided, they use them and, and it's been really effective. And then on my own time, I try to, or, you know, even when I'm in the office, I try to cultivate, you know, those traits and I kind of give, um, I give corresponding yoga poses that you can do. And when I say yoga poses, do not, everyone should not imagine a pretzel or anything, something you can do in the chair at the office, very quick type of thing, but it. Again, it's about aligning your body and aligning your mind and your soul uh, to to get what it is that you're looking for. So, <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. You uh, you're a big believer in balance, as am I. So, <laughs> kudos to you. Yeah, and I, I and that's what I thought book. was so cool about you. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, yeah, I will. Uh, I'll definitely check out your book. That sounds fantastic. You, and um, me too. I was trying to. I was trying to get a hold of you. I haven't yet um, a hold of your book because one, as I said, I was so intrigued by your background. But then also that I think the fact that you're translating it into corporate America or in, in with individuals, and and I just think it can it can just offer so much because you've seen so much and you've seen it from such another dimension. What um for you and and then. You know, we can we can talk further, but I wanted to I wanted to ask you for for you what's if there's one piece of advice and I know everybody hates when you're asked this because you're kind of like called to the carpet and you're just like oh my god you're asking me to encapsulate all of my work into one statement but I'm going to ask you that what piece of advice <laughs> would you give somebody what has served you what has really served you what is what have you found that you know with this I can you know. I've yeah. achieved a lot or I've, I've been happier or whatever. 
You know, I'd, I'd say I would say self-talk, identifying and uh, being present in the moment, and and identifying the the thoughts that go through through one's mind and the the sort of voice that uh, that you hear yourself. You know, say to yourself when when you're facing a challenge or an obstacle or giving a presentation, you know, what what are the thoughts going through your mind? Um, the, what what I found is, is, as you know, you know our, our thoughts drive drive our emotions, and our emotions drive behavior. So, the brain doesn't know any better. It, the brain doesn't know if something is is reality or or not. So we can tell okay. ourselves exactly what we want to, and that will shape our emotions and ultimately shape our behavior. It takes a lot of practice, but self talk uh, in in managing self talk for the positive is it's. 180, 180 degrees, um, sure things for the, uh, for, for the positive, for the positive view. <laughs> I love that. Job. I love that. I love that. It's, it's very simple. Yeah, it, it's very simple. Um, but it's, 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 it's very powerful too. It is. And it's so important, you know, it's so important. And, you know, for me, what my advice is so along those lines, I knew when we were going to talk that it was going to, that there was something in common because for me, I was feeling that I've noticed for me that when you notice, when you just simply observe, right. And don't judge that's when you know you're in the present moment. Right. And the emotions don't take Mm -hmm. a life of their own. They're just feelings that you're experiencing, right? They're transient. They come and they go, and they're not permanent, just like the experience you're having and as it unfolds. So if you don't attach that importance to them, right, they just become an emotion that is transient. And that's, I think, the biggest thing is that you just simply become an observer to that which is happening rather than attaching to it like you just said, that your brain really doesn't know the difference until you attach meaning to it. So I, it's so mm-hmm. interesting that you and I have come from vastly different backgrounds and we have this very similar pieces of advice. That's so cool. Matter of semantics, right? <laughs> Very semantics, cool, semantics. You know, the, the crazy jobs that we did, so. Yeah, before, so cool. You know, before, so, um, you, you hit on something really important there is, is replacing judgment with observation, and that's key. That's the whole, that's the yes. whole key to, uh, to improving that self-talk. Yes, and you know, kind of stepping outside, and so, well, Jeff, how can how can everybody get a hold of you? Are you active on social media, and how can we get your book, and how do we do all that? Yeah, well, thank you. Um, My website is adaptabilitycoach.com. You can find my book links there. It's also on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Yes, I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn. People can find me anywhere. Uh, they can like my Facebook page, uh, creatively named Adaptability Coach again. So um, <laughs> that's it, and I look forward to hearing back from everybody. <laughs> Thank that's you so much awesome. for having me. And, and if, you're very welcome. And if you want to learn more about the Ohm Factor, you can um, come to my website at www.alkadillon.com. 
D-H-I-L-L-O-N.com. My book's available, again, just like Jeff, on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And um, you can also follow me on Twitter, at The Spiritual CEO, and like me on Facebook under Alka Dillon, and I'm also on Instagram, at The Spiritual CEO. Jeff, it was such a pleasure, honestly, sharing space with you. Very cool. Likewise, likewise. Thank you again, and uh, I really enjoyed the conversation, so let's keep in touch. Me too. Me too. Let's keep in touch.